Good morning, good friends, and welcome to worship at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church on this sixth Sunday of Easter. We are glad you have found your way to us through Facebook Live or here in this sanctuary where we are figuring out how to regather and reconnect. This morning I have an unusual um, number of announcements, so bear with me as I try to update you all on the many transitions and things that are happening here within our congregation. Please know if you are a visitor here at Selwyn, we're so glad that you are. We're in the midst of orientation classes. They're happening on Thursday evenings by Zoom. Please be in touch with the church office and we'll be glad to connect you to that place where we are uh, getting to know each other and sharing what it means to belong. After worship today, elders are uh, reminded that there's a called session meeting as we greet our class of confirmands who are presenting their faith statements for membership. And on June 6th, this marks a special day in the life of our church. We will have worship here and on Facebook, but then we will have a bluegrass band and a picnic out on our lawn for the entire congregation. You're invited to bring your own lunch or you can register for a fried chicken box lunch. That's June 6th at 11.30. Today in worship, um, it is my privilege and my honor to welcome to the pulpit Liz Clausen Kelly, who is the CEO of Roof Above. For several years, Selwyn's major, one of Selwyn's major mission priorities has been to walk along our neighbor, aside our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness as we advocate for them and work to end homelessness. This commitment of discipleship expresses itself at Selwyn in many ways through the partnerships that we have and the steady work of our membership. Uh, we support Roof Above financially. Over the course of this last year even, we have provided back home kits to neighbors transitioning into permanent housing. And during COVID, we've also tried to uh, provide tents and we have made thousands of sandwiches. Prior to COVID-19, Selwyn has long hosted 12 neighbors on Monday nights through the Room in the End program. It is during Room in the End that members play the piano, prepare a meal, wash feet and laundry, lead Bible studies, pray, and talk with our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. Well, I'm glad we will welcome these neighbors back to Selwyn next winter. I wonder if God's heart continues to break because we have to. Ending homelessness in Charlotte is possible, and so Selwyn continues to deepen our understanding and work to end homelessness in bold and creative ways. This is why I'm glad that Liz is with us today in, in our pulpit. Liz walks the walk. As one community partner states, there's only one Liz Clausen Kelly. Her voice is one of knowledge, love, and courage to do the right thing in an unwavering belief that there is an end to homelessness. She makes all of us believe that, and that's exactly what it will take. Her vocation is an expression of God's goodness and faithfulness, and she knows that. Her willingness to offer her time with us in worship and again tonight at five o'clock with our outdoor worship service is an expression of her commitment and her faithfulness. After the five o'clock service tonight, we will gather with her for a deeper conversation about how we can engage this work. And in the coming days, we will share resources and information about that. Liz is a graduate of Davidson College. She earned her master's in public policy from Duke. She and her Fred are raising four children and I'm really glad she's here with us today. 
I know some of you all are wondering what the governor's announcement about um, social distancing and masks and gatherings means for Selwyn. We are working on it really quickly and we are very hopeful. A few things for you to know. No longer will we require reservations to come back into our worship space. It's time to get out of your jammies and into your pews. We will continue to live stream worship for those of you who are not vaccinated yet or who are uncomfortable still gathering. We understand that and want to stay connected. We will try to continue social distancing, but we think we can increase the number who are allowed to worship here. And that will be very important in the coming days. While we haven't quite figured out the mask thing yet, we will let you know as soon as we do. For now, we are encouraging folks to wear masks, especially those who are not vaccinated. Uh, and last but not least, um, outdoor worship is still a great option, and that continues through June 13th. This leads me to some very sad news, which most of you have already heard. As many of you know, our beloved member, Eric Winkenwerder, passed away on Wednesday evening. Eric had been sick for several months, but his death did come unexpectedly. Eric did not have COVID, but he was struggling with an undiagnosed pneumonia. Eric was a deacon, an elder, a teacher of children, including Jessie, who is having her child baptized here today. He was a storyteller, a friend to all. He placed the Easter cross in the lawn each year and hung the Christmas quilt without being asked. He single-handedly launched our online worship service and provided lighting and sound to both the sanctuary and outdoor worship services. He was the primary creator for our Christmas pageant in the early Easter worship service. He knew most of our children by name. He was an avid participant in the men's group. He sung in the choir. He spent the night at Room in the Inn. We're all grieving, and our prayers and our arms extend around Suzanne and your boys and his brother Hank and his wife and Betty Sue as well. Everyone grieves differently, and the grief we feel is connected to the love that we feel. So please know you're invited to a memorial service that will be held on Saturday evening at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. We are taking reservations for that service, but we are also trying to expand these walls as wide as they will go, and we will try to find room for everyone who wants to be here. There will be a reception on the lawn after the 4 o'clock service, and then there will be an outdoor service, um, a celebration of, of life and resurrection and that's at 7.30 at night on our lawn. Eric Winkenwerder was one of a kind. He was a child of God, and he was a servant of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. In life and death, we do belong to God. Let us worship God with all of our hearts.
Will you please rise as you are able in body or in spirit as we call ourselves to worship? Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, and Archiphus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace and peace, and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God. I hear your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when we perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. May the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. gracious and merciful and knows our needs even when even before they reach our lips still we engage in confession admitting to God all that rests uneasy on our hearts in, co in confidence of God's love let us make our confession together let us pray you call us to be your voice in the world and we stay silent we call us to be your hands in the world and we keep them hidden. You call us to be your feet in this world, and we go our own way. When we meet those who are doubting and say nothing, forgive us. 
When we meet those who need your touch and do nothing, forgive us. When we are called to take up your cross and carry nothing, forgive us. Breathe life into these bones, bring freedom to these lives, that we might declare with heart and soul and voice that you are our Lord and our God. Amen. Friends, hear these words of assurance from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor replay to us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. As you all are seated, it is my great pleasure to invite Thomas Alexander Zonde to the baptism font, along with his parents, Steve and Jesse. Our assisting elder this morning is Susan Flynn. Baptism is God's movement of grace towards us. It is a visible sign it is a visible sign of God's invisible grace. It is a mark and a claim that we belong to God and that God will never leave us. It is to Abraham and Sarah that God first made this promise, a promise of more descendants than stars in the sky. It is here at this font that we name this covenant and we make this covenant so that it is real and we can experience it through our love of Christ Jesus. We can do nothing to earn this grace, but it is by God's holy invitation that we share in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This morning, as we watch the drops of water fall on Thomas's head, you are invited to remember your own baptism. The day that, on behalf of an entire congregation, you heard the words, yes. Steve and Jesse putting your whole trust in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Do you desire to have Thomas baptized? We do. Will you be responsible in nurturing Thomas in the faith and life of a Christian community? Will you, by your prayers and witness, help Thomas grow into the full stature of Christ? Do you, the people of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church, promise to share with Thomas Alexander Zondi, the good news of the gospel, and to help him to know the peace and the joy and cost of Christian discipleship. We do. Do you promise your prayers and fellowship, caring and encouragement for this family, that their ties with the household of God may be strong and enduring? We do. Let us rise and say together what we believe using the historic faith of the church expressed in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You all may be seated, and we'll continue in prayer. Thomas. Not yet. Oh, sorry. That's good. We got this one up here. <laughs> God of all creation, every day we journey on this earth is a day in which we make choices. Some choices are simple and some are very complex, but one choice informs all the others. Who will be our God? Who will we trust to see us through this journey? Who has been with us from, the, from before the beginning? Who has loved us and blessed us and sent us on our way? Who has been at our side when the road has been smooth and gently curving? Who has kept us through hairpin turns and rocky patches? Who will celebrate with us when we complete our course and seek the comfort of eternity? Only one, you are faithful. You are committed. We love you in all we do and say, dream and pray because you are loving. We pray for Steve and Jesse Give thanks for their witness to you, their patience and their tenacity. Continue to guide their feet and give them moments of rest and joy that will sustain them along the way. We give thanks for Thomas, for his unique personality and tender smile. Enlarge our faithfulness, our trust, our commitment, and our love so that we may graciously uphold our side of the deal. Help us always to recognize your presence and your blessings through our journey. Help us to be faithful and committed to loving this child, Thomas, and all the children in our community and city. And now we ask that you set apart these waters so that we know what is common is now inspired by your Holy Spirit, that these waters be redemptive and renewing as we wash this child in that love that grace-filled love of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Come here, Thomas. Come here. Come here. Look. Look. Thomas Alexander, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, now and forevermore. Amen. See how amazing God's love is that we should be called children of God. For this child, Christ was born. For this child, Christ taught and preached. For this child, Christ suffered on a cross and died. For this child, Christ rose again from the dead. Thomas knows none of this, does he? You see, we love God because God loves us first. All Thomas knows is that he is loved beyond measure. This child was hoped for. This child was planned for. This child was prayed for. And now, as he has gotten to know his parents, Jesse and Steve, that continues. His name, Thomas Alexander, I do know Alexander is an inherited name from his father. He also inherits generations of tenacity and hard work and also faithfulness and commitment from both sets of his grandparents and his great-grandparents. There's a pappy and a poppy and a poppy. <laughs> he is surrounded by love. 
Jessie grew up in this church. She ran through these aisles as well. But she comes back to us as an adult and a partner with her husband, Steve. And they're starting on a new journey as they figure out what it means to raise a child in faith. This is going to require a little bit of work from Selwyn Avenue as well. Jesse has shared that Thomas has changed everything. Thomas has created more of everything, maybe less sleep, but more work, uh, more challenges, and more joy, and more love, and more grace. We're a part of that story, Selwyn Avenue. This one is ours. We need to teach him the way of Christ. We need to teach him through storytelling who Jesus is. We need to go to Montreat with this one. And we need to help his parents out along the way. This is Thomas Alexander Zande. He is a child of Steve and Jesse. He is a child of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. And he is a child of God. Now, now you're ready. Now I'm ready. It is with great joy that we welcome Thomas Alexander Zandi is now identified as a child of God in Christ's church. Through baptism, God has put his seal upon Thomas to share with us all the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. Let us be supportive of Steve and Jesse as they nurture Thomas and assist him to be a faithful disciple. <laughs> with joy, joy and, and thanksgiving, thanksgiving, we welcome Thomas into Christ's church. We are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, to share the good news of God's love with you, and to help you in your blessings. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Oh, okay. 
preaching series has been entitled Letters to a New Church. As we consider what it means to be the church in a complicated season in our history, Paul's letters were usually intended to encourage and guide faith communities as they were establishing themselves and their purpose in Christ. This morning, we are turning to the shortest letter Paul wrote. It's 335 Greek letters. He wrote it from prison, and we heard the first part of it in our call to worship. Today, if you listen, you will hear Paul advocating for someone who has been previously enslaved, someone who had his back against the wall, someone who needed an advocate, but not just an advocate, someone who needed a community and a pathway to wholeness and freedom. So listen to what is required. Listen to how Paul stands alongside this man. And then as Liz steps into the pulpit, we will hear God's holy word in an unexpected and compelling way, as if her sermon is a letter to Selwyn, as we seek to be Christ's church in a broken world. Our text this morning is the entire book of Philemon, and we're going to pick up where we left off with the call to worship. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow pri prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Arist Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be in your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Good morning, Selwyn family. It is a privilege and honor to be here, and I just um, want to just be aware that I'm stepping into a very intense moment in the life of this community, the intensity of loss and the celebration of new life. So thank you for sharing this pulpit space with me today. I'm always grateful to be with the Selwyn community. You guys are great supporters of our mission to end homelessness, whether it be through Room in the Inn hospitality or welcome home kits, which I think you guys are like the leading place in town of creating these kits to uh, help people's house become a home. Um, and of course, the thousands of sandwiches that have helped us uh, through these, the, these last months, this more than a year now, um, so thank you. Uh, but I think I'm most grateful to be here because um, our number one core value at Roof Above is heart for the work. And so you always seek out those partners who you feel like have that shared heart. And the heart of this congregation is, I know, a beautiful heart, and it feels like a shared heart with the heart of Roof Above. And in that spirit, I've been assured that you guys are hungry to understand more about the landscape of homelessness. So you'll forgive me if this is less theological reflection and more kind of uh, taking you behind the curtains and sharing what's going on in homelessness today. Um, that will be the focus. Um, but I wanna put it in the context <clears throat> of a moment. I don't know what your last 14 months have been like, but I look back and these certain specific moments stand out to me. Um, if anyone participated in our True Blessings virtual event, I shared about this very intense moment at the beginning of the pandemic when I'd just been gripped by fear that people were serving were going to die. And I had a very clear moment of God inviting me to put down fear and pick up responsibility. I think about the moment when I got a phone call um, at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday uh, where I was informed that the county in three days would make sure everyone was mandating everyone be removed from the North End encampment. And it was a moment of overwhelming and not believing and not sure what our community would do. Um, I got to have a really amazing moment at the end of that after watching the community come together and move more than 200 people into motel. But I, I definitely remember that moment of overwhelming of the phone call. But the moment that I want to share with you today to put in context what I'll share um, is actually an embarrassing moment. <laughs> um, we've had those in this last year, right? Um, it was a moment the North End encampment had just begun, and we'd done a lot of grappling internally at Roof Above about how do we need to respond, what is it to be true to our mission and be faithful. And out of that, we had banded with others, and including the faith community, to ask for additional motel rooms, that we needed more motel rooms for people who were sleeping outside as a response to the encampment. And so I was in a, a conversation with someone with power and advocating for this, and there was an insinuation that perhaps what we were asking for was too much. Um, you know, all of this had been done. This was, you know, the insinuation was this was unreasonable. And I found myself in response to this cowering a bit, and I found myself saying, well, I'm not asking you to end all of homelessness as a response to this pandemic, right? And the moment I said that, I had this like real clear moment that followed, which I, I would attribute to the voice of God to say, why not? Why aren't we taking this moment to ask for an end of homelessness? If the pandemic very quickly showed us anything, it was that the state of homelessness was a great risk to individuals' health as well as the health of the community. 
So that was a very clear moment because I'd realized um, in doing this work year after year, I'd allowed my dreams to become too small. I'd allowed the dreams of Roof Above, the dreams of this community to accept a certain level of homelessness. And as the pandemic came and I was in that moment of advocacy, it was an invitation to have a much bolder vision, not a vision of what's convenient or what's reasonable, but a vision of the kingdom, right? Where everyone has enough, where uh, everyone has the safety, stability, and dignity of home. So it is in that context of dreaming bigger dreams that I provide you this update of the landscape of homelessness. So I'm gonna, I'll, it's helpful for listening, I'm gonna tell you five things, so stick with me today. Um, so the first thing to say is that in a response to the pandemic, homeless services and particularly our shelter system drastically expanded and altered itself. Um, that's sometimes unknown because we had such a higher level of visibility of homelessness, but believe it or not, the shelter system has grown by more than 600 beds across this community as a response to the pandemic. And how we think of emergency shelter has also completely altered. So, you know, we have these buildings where people sleep in dorms, where we serve communal meals and people sit down together. The pandemic made all of that impossible. So we very quickly shifted our shelters to motels. Um, people ate their meals in individual containers in their rooms. They had their own bathroom. Um, the Salvation Army Center of Hope serving women quickly shifted to motel model. We too at Roof Above shifted. Um, and then we added motels. So there's uh, four additional motels operating in some capacity in this community serving different populations. Um, throughout this pandemic. So what's been really interesting about that is we found people who are sleeping outside who don't often want to come into shelter were willing to come in because of the kind of privacy of the motel room. And so we've been able to reach people that previously were much more difficult to reach. Um, the negatives of motels have been um, a couple things. One, um, it's, uh, it's harder to motivate people out of homelessness because there's a certain kind of um, stability that occurs um, in a motel, and so we've had to work harder on people's exit plans out of homelessness. And also the privacy works against us as well. So things like substance use that often we have better eyes on, uh, we have more connection between staff and, and guests in a congregate shelter setting, that's really been altered. So we've been trying to figure out how do we do better work while offering this privacy and safety of a motel room. Um, so it's been a very interesting time uh, in terms of shifting our work. We, we celebrate the expansion of the work. We celebrate having shelter beds for folks who are coming to us. Um, but we also, uh, our staff is pretty tired and exhausted. Um, and part of that is because just the connectivity with folks we serve is much lessened in this setting. So we've been able to do all of this because the second thing I want to share with you which is the pandemic brought significant expanded funding, right? So the only reason we've been able to shift to motels and expand services is because there is a clear funding source to allow that to happen. So FEMA has allowed uh, emergency shelters to rent motel rooms and will compensate for those costs. Um, the state has supported that effort. We've had massive expansion of shelter funding through the federal government. And then locally, of course, we had the COVID response fund, which allowed us to do things like enhance our cleaning. We've been able to add staff. We've been able to um, 
pay our frontline staff more is what we call a hero bonus, right, to recognize the risk that people are taking. So our ability to expand is absolutely related to uh, the community and government's uh, commitment to, to fund these services that we provide. The third thing to let you know um, is about homeless numbers. So we see the numbers of people experiencing homelessness trending upwards. Now, it is not what we thought. I was one of those voices last March, a year ago March, um, absolutely fearful of what we would see in terms of expansion of homelessness during this time. I've done this work uh, before during a recession, and we saw our numbers rise significantly. So anytime there's economic turmoil, we almost always see homelessness increase. Um, but that wasn't true. Actually, through most of the pandemic, we saw our numbers steady even lower. Um, and part of that had to do with the protections that were put in place. So we had a moratorium on evictions, not something I knew was even legally feasible or possible, but as that went into effect, um, we saw the increase people knew coming to homelessness decrease. And one of the things we think we also saw was family members were more willing to bring people in and, and keep people in their homes during this time of unknown and uncertainty. Since January, we've seen numbers start to increase. So we've got about um, 3,300 people experiencing homelessness right now. Um, that's about 500 more than where we saw last year. And with the moratorium, eviction moratorium, coming to a close at the end of June, um, we fully anticipate that we'll see homeless numbers increase um, over this coming year. So the fourth thing I wanna share is the visibility of homelessness. So it might surprise you to know that during the pandemic, we didn't see homeless numbers skyrocketing because I think for those um, on the ground level, you saw homelessness in whole new ways. And so what we've seen, not just in Charlotte, but throughout the country, is homelessness become much more visible. So where people would often sleep outside and kind of in the woods and places hidden from, you know, kind of day-to-day -day life, what we saw during the pandemic across the country is people begin to camp in large encampments and much more public spaces. Um, so that's really interesting to dig into to understand why this is happening. But what I will say is that um, from our perspective, that increased visibility of homelessness absolutely drove community engagement and the community conversation. What we saw very quickly is when people could see and have some understanding of how cruel the realities of homelessness were, that they quickly wanted to respond. Um, and so our challenge um, is how do we help people see and feel the realities of homelessness without having a 200 tent encampment in our community, right? Um, and so when the North End encampment closed, people were moved to two motels. The county um, leased two motels and roof above has the privilege of helping, uh, helping run and operate one of those motels. The people in those motels are absolutely still experiencing homelessness. You just don't see it. And there is absolutely greater stability there. People have their own bathroom and shower. Um, there's you know, greater safety there, um, but it's still homelessness. And so I think one of our challenges as a community is how do we keep that engagement level high um, when we're not seeing it day in and day out? And the fifth thing I want to share is COVID's not over yet. I recently saw a t-shirt that said, the pandemic's not over just because you want it to be. <laughs> I 
thought, oh, that's so true. Um, so I know we are so eager to return uh, to some of the practices and, you know, physical comforts of being close together and being in community. Um, so from a homelessness service perspective, um, you know, we are not out of the woods yet. Our vaccine, we've hosted at Roof Above facilities 10 separate on-site vaccine clinics, um, and we're continuing to do that. But even with those efforts, we are just at about a third of folks we serve who are vaccinated. So there are significant questions and hesitancy among those we serve in getting vaccinated. Um, the CDC, while they you know, updated some guidelines uh, this past week, they were really clear to call out um, shelters for people experiencing homelessness, those who are incarcerated in nursing homes being the real exceptions to moving forward without masking. And so we know it's critical that we continue to keep COVID protocol in place to keep people safe, as well as really increase our vaccine efforts and our vaccine education efforts so we can protect those that we serve. Um, many of you have volunteered with us before, uh, and we, you will notice we have been slow to have volunteers. We are so grateful for all the sandwich makings and things people have done off-site to support our work, but it is really this question around the vulnerability of folks we serve that have caused us to be um, cautious before welcoming volunteer groups back on our campuses. And so while the world opens up, we, uh, we, I think, as homeless service providers, really have to be thoughtful about what's our pace for opening up. We've had, uh, we were very fortunate to make it through all of 2020 without any outbreaks. But in 2021, at Roof Above, we had a significant outbreak in late January. And we've just had another small outbreak, um, which was, uh, it was an important moment for our staff to recognize, again, as we make progress as a nation, as a community, what do we still have to put in place on the front lines at homeless services um, agencies? And so I share these five things just to give you a sense of what this landscape looks like and really to ask you to join us with this question of where do we go from here? So we know um, end of September, all of the funding for motels um, goes away. And so all of this work we've been doing in motels will come to an end at the end of September. Um, so that includes, that's really how we've been funding all of these additional hundreds of additional shelter beds, right? So our system, because of funding constraints, will start to contract at the end of September. Um, we are, putting our foot on the accelerator to try to create more housing opportunities. Um, you might have read about Roof Above over this last year made two significant steps forward in housing. Um, one, we bought an entire apartment complex, so an apartment community of 341 units called Hill Rock Estates. We've set aside 75 units for folks who are coming out of chronic homelessness. Um, two people who are staying in the encampment have moved in just over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, so we'll continue to hold those units affordable and continue to move folks in. We also purchased a hotel um, that was used as a shelter for women and families over the winter. And actually tomorrow we kick off our renovation efforts there and we'll convert those hotel rooms into apartments to open um, at the end of this year. 
You might have read Salvation Army Center of Hope is in the process of buying a hotel to create a second family shelter um, to create kind of those individualized rooms. And then you might have also read the city is funding 75 rental subsidies for folks coming out of the encampment a year long's rent to help people move into housing from their homelessness. So we are pressing the accelerator to try to create additional housing opportunities but we're doing that in the context of our community and the reality in our community is rents continue to rise uh, we continue to be a prosperous city which means we're a city of growth and our housing stock isn't necessarily keeping up um, and so we see rents continue to rise and so we know um, the ground is slipping around us and so there are a couple key conversations, I think, that are happening to help us think through the context. Um, so one, you might have read the 2025 housing and homelessness strategy that's just kicked off. This is really to try to create a five-year plan of what do our homeless services need to look like to serve our neighbors and homelessness well. And so it's including folks from the government, from corporate America, from um, nonprofits, as well as people who've experienced homelessness, all coming around the table together to craft that vision and then to craft a way to implement it and craft a way uh, to fund it. So we can all take a moment and say, my goodness, Charlotte Mecklenburg loves planning. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about implementation. We celebrate when we get to the point of implementation, but it is important that we come together and grapple with what's our common vision. And then while that's going on, we also have uh, this community conversation around our comprehensive plan. So you might have read about the city's 2040 comprehensive plan, um, which part of what's in the plan is this question of what are, what's going to be in all, our toolbox for our housing conversations. Right now, we have pretty limited tools of how to address our affordable housing crisis. And so the plan looks to add tools that will help us increase density, help us expand our public policy efforts so that we can, we can grow our housing stock for all people we know are in our community. Um, we know that people work jobs full time making $7 an hour. We know that the housing wage in this community is $18 an hour, right? Um, and so how do we make sure we're making space for all members of our community? Um, and so, you know, I, I say I invite you to this conversation and I, I go back to that beginning moment of, you know, are we dreaming big enough dreams? Um, we get to decide who this community wants to be. We get to decide who this country wants to be. Um, and so I invite you to join that conversation with Roof Above, with the city and county to dream bigger dreams for how we can be. Um, you know, I'm so moved by that I cried during the baptism. <laughs> it's, it's always so powerful, right, to be in this moment. It's this moment of, of promise. But what I really love is this um, community covenant. You guys are promising to each other, right? to nurture a life and nurture a life um, towards God. So I wanna share one final moment as I wrap up, which is um, the encampment had been cleared, right? The county said, you have three days to clear the encampment. We worked to open motels, so that was going on. 200 people moved off the streets into motel, but there were all these tents still re remaining. And so I got to be with others from Roof Above and others in the community, and we actually went around tent by tent with um, the cleaning crews that were hired to actually remove the tents. 
And we were there to engage people, to see if anyone was left in the tents, and if they were, to work to find an alternate resource. And so um, there is a lot of empty tents, but there were probably about a dozen people remaining. And so one gentleman was, was remaining in this area. Um, he was not exactly resistant to leaving. There was just a, a sense of lostness um, in him. Or um, he was very sleepy, and, and he, you know, he was open. He just wasn't sure where to go. So we were engaging him in conversation, and one of the officials working on the effort from the city walked up. And in the course of that conversation, they recognized each other from high school. These two people had gone to high school together. And it was, you know, I still don't quite know what to make of it other than to say, okay, God is here, right? Like recognizing this as some sacred moment. Um, but for me, it was that moment COVID has done so much to remind us of our connectedness. And that was like a very specific reminder of connectedness. And then you can go back in time and think about these two lives passing in a hallway, right? And they would go such different directions. And so as we think about what promises we make to each other, right? And we make promises in the context of our families and we make promises in the context of our, you know, church families. But what are the promises we make to each other as a community? One of my favorite spiritual writers and thinkers and activists is Father Greg Boyle, if you guys have ever read his work with Homeboy Industries. And I love his invitation that however big you think God is, God is bigger right? Whatever you, whatever you imagine, God is even bigger. So when I think about who do we think about is in our community, who do we make promises to, I invite us to make that even bigger. As we step forward out of this pandemic, what I deeply hope for this community is that we don't return to normal, but we use this moment to catapult a step closer to God's vision for the kingdom. Thank you so much. Let us pray together. Holy God, you have bound us together in common life. And when one hurts, we all do. When one rejoices, we rejoice with them. We rejoice this morning over Thomas's baptism and the Han family reunion in our midst. But this week has also involved more hurting than rejoicing, Lord. We know you are with us and at work in all things, but it's still hard sometimes. Let us feel your presence and love. We pray for the family and friends of Eric Winkenwerder. His life touched so many, and his loss leaves a deep void. Be with Suzanne, Eli, Andrew, Hank, and Betty Sue, and be with each of us who loved him especially those for whom his death reopens fresh wounds from others we have loved and lost this past year. Look with compassion, O God, upon the people of this land, especially those who live with injustice, terror, disease, and death as their constant companions. We lift especially the 3,300 homeless neighbors among us this day. Have mercy upon us. Help us to eliminate the root causes of these problems and to dream big 
so that all might sleep safely each night, free from fear, with a full belly, and access to life-sustaining work and health care. Keep us engaged in this work until this is done. Strengthen those like Liz and her staff and volunteers who spend their days serving others. Equip and enlighten those working in our community to reimagine and establish equitable and affordable housing opportunities for us all. Lord, we pray for those impacted this week by gas panic buying. We pray for those who were unable to have long-awaited family reunions, attend a critical medical appointment, or get to work, and who will now juggle a critical pay deficit. Help us to be our best in crises, Lord, not our worst. Lord, we pray for our neighbors at war in the Middle East. It's complicated, and we don't easily understand. But help them and us in the midst of all of our struggles to confront one another without violence, hatred, or bitterness, and to work together with mutual forbearance and respect. God, we pray for leaders in all places as they navigate COVID-related decisions. We're glad to be re-emerging and to have some freedom from masks, but we are worried about our children and our vulnerable neighbors, Lord. Help us to treat each other with patience and respect and grace as we all try to move forward into a new normal with differing views and opinions. Lord, look with compassion on our whole human family Take away the arrogance and indifference that affects our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love. And through our struggle and confusion, work to accomplish your purposes on this earth. We ask all this in the name of the risen one, Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is the time in our worship service that we call the invitation to discipleship. You may think it's about the financial offering, but it really is more than that. Of course, we encourage you to share the financial resources that God has entrusted to you so that we might continue sharing God's love in the world. And our text to give number is in the bulletin and in the chat feed, and there's an offering plate in the back of the sanctuary. But during this time, we also invite you to consider how you might also give of your lives and deepen your discipleship, grow your love of God and neighbor. We have ongoing opportunities to participate in the work of Roof Above or to support the staff and families at Montclair Elementary School. We have Bible studies, women's circles, and a men's group where you might deepen your faith your church relationships and fellowship and your discipleship. So during our anthem, we invite you to consider ways in which God might be calling you or inviting you into a deeper way to engage. Let us give our lives to God and God's work in this world.
join me as we dedicate our lives to God. Open our eyes that they may see the deepest needs of people. Move our hands that they may feed the hungry. Touch our hearts that it may bring warmth to the despairing. Teach us the generosity that welcomes strangers. Let us share our possessions to clothe the naked. Give us the care that strengthens the sick. Make a share in the quest to set the prisoner free. In sharing our anxieties and our love, our poverty and our prosperity, we partake of your divine presence. Amen. <clears throat> voices and people here in this sanctuary and to sing with you all. But for now, take heart, have courage, and hold fast to God's promises. And may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you wherever you go until we meet again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.